Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. What an adventure it is to, to follow Jesus. Um, and that's what we're considering in our current sermon series uh, titled the, the Path of Discipleship. So what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Um, and so essentially what we're doing over the next bit of time is we're following the disciples' journey uh, in the Gospels as they go on that same journey of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Um, And today we're going to look at what Jesus says to his disciples in Luke uh, chapter 9, verses 22 to 25. Um, And these words that we're going to hear Jesus say today, or we're going to read today, um, come after a conversation that Jesus has had with his disciples, where he asks them the question, who do you say I am? And um, this is not just a question that Jesus uh, is asking his disciples, but it seems like uh, at this point in Luke's gospel, it's a question that kind of everyone's asking. If we kind of jump back a bit in chapter 9, we read the following. So it says, now uh, Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead, others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. So even Herod is asking this question, who is this guy? Like, can't be John, chopped his head off. Um, But I said, who who is he? And um, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, um, his answer to this question comes in verse 20. Which, and he says is God's Messiah, or other versions say the Christ of God. So essentially the one who um, the God of Israel has um, sent to save his people. Um, and kind of interestingly, at this point in, in Luke, um, Jesus' identity as the Christ has uh, been confessed by angels. Uh, it's been uh, confessed by, I guess, Luke as the narrator of the gospel, Uh, by a demon and by Jesus himself. Um, But this is the first time that one of the 12 people, his his friends, people that he called to follow him closely, um, declared that he was the Christ. And I want us to put ourselves in Peter's shoes a little bit here. And I think one half of his reaction is going to be one of of awe, of, of worship, kind of, Peter has clicked that he is standing before God's chosen one to rescue his people, the one that Peter's ancestors have been longing for, and here he is kind of before him now. And I think the, the other half of what's going on is, can be one of, of jubilation, a sense of impending liberation and victory. Um, now, Peter, he grew up a, a fisherman. He was very poor. Uh, and he was living under the oppressive regime of the Romans. So now here he was, uh, standing before 
the one that had come to save him, uh, save his people. Uh, Peter must have been on, on cloud nine. Here's the one who's uh, going to, to rescue us. Um, and he has seen through following Jesus up to this point that um, God had given him authority over, over everything. And he's thinking, I'm, I'm right here next to him. I have that proximity to ultimate um, power, freedom, victory, prosperity. And so Peter is a poor, poor and oppressed man. He'd be really hard pushed. Um, yeah, he'd be really hard pushed to, to bemoan him, his desire for freedom from poverty and oppression. And I think we might not have that kind of same background as Peter, but I think we can resonate with that uh, desire for peace, prosperity, uh, relief. So at this point in Luke's gospel, we're at this kind of crescendo, uh, this glimpse of Jesus' true identity that the disciples have become awakened to. And that realization of Jesus' identity, kind of with that realization comes the disciples' new roadmap for the future, okay? This new idea of what life is going to look like for them with Jesus. Um, But this is where uh, we read verse 22, what Jesus says. Um, So I'm just going to read that for us now. Um, So verse 22, he says, And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed on the third day and raised to life. I'll just read that one more time. Um, And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed on the third day and raised to life. Wow. Uh, This is like a sucker punch to the listening disciples. This is the total opposite of the manifesto that Peter would have been expecting, hoping to hear from Jesus right now. Not only are they hearing their friend describe his suffering, rejection, and death, but the disciples' new vision of their kind of glorious future of power and prosperity is torn away from them in a sentence. It's like Jesus has um, stood there Uh, and ripped up Peter's winning lottery ticket uh, in front of him. Um, And as his closest friends and followers were awoken to his identity, Jesus shares his ultimate mission, why the Father has sent him, to suffer, be rejected, and killed, and on the third day be raised to life. So in this series, we're looking at what it looks like to follow Jesus, how to do what what Jesus did, to live in a way that imitates him. And it can be really easy to to skip ahead to what what characteristics do I need to foster? Uh, What can I do to be more like Jesus? Like, Jesus was kind, be more kind. Jesus was generous, be more generous. Um, But what we see in verse 22 here is that before we can almost consider what it looks like to follow Jesus, we need to set our hearts on what he has done, where he has gone. Jesus walked where we could not. We follow Jesus, the one who made a way for us. And 
Peter's problem was not political, it wasn't national, it wasn't financial, it was relational. Peter uh, was born into a broken world, one of disease, poverty, political oppression, like a cre- creation marked by relational brokenness from the creator. And that brokenness that was external to Peter was, was internal too. Uh, Peter, like all of us, was, was not perfect. He'd made mistakes. He'd go on to make more. And he'd chosen to, to kind of turn away from relationship to God. And we stand in those same shoes as Peter, external and internal brokenness. And the only way for that relational brokenness to be restored, for us to be able to follow Jesus in relationship with the Father, was for the Son of Man, for Jesus, to suffer, to be rejected, to die. Our greatest problem is is sin, that we as unholy, imperfect people are in our nature separated from our holy, holy, holy God. And the only solution for this was for God to send his perfect, sinless son to take our sin upon himself, that in his death and resurrection, we would know freedom from sin, relationship with our creator. Jesus suffered in taking the sins of the world upon himself, in choosing separation from the Father, that we might know freedom from the judgment of sin and oneness with God. He was rejected that we might be acceptable to God. He died that we may have life to the full. So before we kind of hear a sermon and think about what what we can do, I want us to think about what we can't do. Um, In the account of these these events, uh, this conversation that we read in Matthew's gospel, Peter responds, far be it from you, Lord, this shall shall never happen to you. And Jesus' response is clear. Um, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus knew who he was, and what he was sent to do. And it was everything that we couldn't. Um, And it's just, it's important just to reiterate here that Jesus' mission is totally wrapped up in in his identity. And as we read on in a moment to hear Jesus' words of what it looks like to to follow him in the light of this, um, firstly, we acknowledge that the words we read next are in the context of that he has gone before us. He has made a way for us. Um, At the start of the Christian journey of following Jesus is the realisation, the affirmation of of our brokenness and Christ's perfection. And that same affirmation is at the heart of following Jesus every day. Um, Now, I don't know whether you are a morning person or an evening person. Um, I'm not sure I'm either, but um, maybe an evening person as long as the evening finishes by about half eight. Um, But my mornings go a little like this, and I want to paint a bit of a picture for you now, okay? Um, So I wake up usually to someone elbowing me going, alarm, alarm, turn off the alarm. 
And at that point, I move at speed, um, quickly turning off the alarm to avoid any risk of a child waking up. Because that would be really bad news for me. And it would also really annoy my elbower, um, which would then entail more bad news for me. Okay, so now, alarm's off. I sit up on the bed, kind of mustering the energy to stand up. Next, I'm like, slippers. Where are my slippers? Dark, so I'm like, slippers. Oh, someone's moved them. The kids have been playing with them. Okay, then uh, glasses. Where are my glasses? Where are my glasses? Um, oh, there's so much clutter here. I can't find it. Oh, I need to tidy. Blah, blah, blah. Um, so essentially, I, I wake up grumpy. Wait, what am I saying? No, I, I let her sleep in a little longer. Um, no, no. Um, <laughs> uh, um, but no, I, I tiptoe downstairs, um, I make a cup of tea, still grumpy, and then I just I sit in our armchair and I remember Jesus. Not like he pops into my mind, but um, I remind myself of Jesus and who he is, what he has done for me. Um, I bring my imperfection, my grumpiness to him, and I give thanks for his perfection, his perfect sacrifice for me. I know that if I want to actively follow Jesus, I know that I need to see my identity um, in the light of the cross, in the light of Jesus. So following Jesus starts with knowing who Jesus is and where he went for us. Um, So back to kind of our passage, uh, kind of the disciples now. So the disciples have just had that bombshell of Jesus' mission dropped on them. And I feel like the honest question that would come from them next would be, what does that mean for me? And Jesus proceeds to, to tell them and say the following from the next verse, verse 23. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple, I think just pausing for a moment there, I think if I were Peter just hearing those words, whoever wants to be my disciple, I would be particularly exasperated here and kind of waiting with bated breath for what Jesus is about to say. I mean, he is the one that I've literally left everything to follow. So this next answer is very, very crucial to me. Um, But Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Now that can't have been easy to hear, right, for for Peter in that moment. But in this verse, Jesus describes what it is to follow him, to be a follower of Jesus. It's to be a self-denying follower. Um, Now, I wonder if you've seen one of those videos where they put a marshmallow in front of a child and then they say, if, if you don't eat the marshmallow, I'll, I'll come back and bring you another one. Um, and we all know what happens is nine times out of ten, the marshmallow's gone. There's a very sheepish-looking child. And behind the scenes, there's a very smug parent um, thinking, ah, I knew that was going to happen. Um, but of course that was going to happen. Um, in our nature, we are terrible self-deniers. And what we see in kids is generally the overt version of what we see in adults too. Um, We first see this in the garden, don't we? Adam and Eve couldn't help themselves. They had everything they needed, but they could not cope with denying themselves, 
just one thing. And it feels like everything is built around kind of adding to ourselves anything at all. At one touch, we can get a takeaway, entertainment, a date, a chair trolley. Okay, that, that last one was just like my list of church stuff for the week, but um, it was on my list. Um, uh, but we are called not to live a life of continually feeding our own desires, uh, but one of surrender to God. The, to the disciples and the, the other early followers of Jesus hearing this, um, this was a very literal warning to men and women who would suffer and be killed for following Jesus. Um, most of the original disciples were martyred for their faith, as have many followers of Jesus uh, through the ages and to this day. Um, and as well as the very literal taking up of a cross, Luke uses it as a metaphor by suggesting that it is something that is done daily as we follow Jesus. That every day we would reach not for what feeds us, what embellishes us, but be willing to lay down our own preferences and interests and instead prioritise loving God, loving others and living out the mission of Jesus. And at the time when, when Jesus was speaking, to be condemned to die on a cross um, was, yes, something that induced immense suffering, clearly. Um, but it was con also considered the most shameful thing that could happen to someone. A cross was, was not something that someone would wear around their neck or have a small replica of in their house or mark onto their body. It was in a, in a fiercely shame-honour culture. The cross was a deeply shameful image. So it was about as stark as a picture you could get to convey the suffering, rejection, and death that Jesus talks about in verse 22. Um, I mentioned before how Jesus' mission he describes in verse 22 comes immediately after Peter's declaration, you are the Christ. And Jesus' mission is wrapped up in his identity as the Christ. And I think it's the same with us. Our mission to pick up our cross and follow Jesus is in the context of our identity as Christians in Christ, sons and daughters, made and being transformed into his likeness, drawn into the family mission. Um, we've seen before that is only by Jesus going before us where we, could, where we could not go, that we can follow him. And it is only in his power, in the Holy Spirit, that we can follow. The call to pick up our cross and follow him is a call to relationship, to living our lives in worship to God above all else. Jesus is clear that to follow him involves sacrifice, even a readiness to suffer for him. Um, some of our recent kind of give big money um, went to a couple called Sharo and Alexis. You may have met them in one of our Zoom calls during prayer week where we prayed for them. Um, Sharo <coughs> trained as a doctor in the UK. It's originally from Kurdistan, northern Iraq. Um, Alexis from the UK, um, and they decided not to stay in the UK, but to move to Kurdistan 
to, to live for Jesus as they look to bring hope to people of that area, but at a great worldly sacrifice. Uh, we mentioned the guys who went to Reddish earlier. It would have been a lot easier for them, and probably us, uh, for them not to go. They've put in a lot of hard work this year that they could not have. But they've chosen to lay down comfort to build the church and make disciples in Reddish. Even thinking of our community group leaders, people who open up their homes, prepare food, do a big load of washing up to build community here at Lady Barn, where we're so grateful for people making these sacrifices. Um, so we are called to pick up our cross and follow Jesus to deny ourselves. And in our final couple of verses, Jesus explains why this is actually a really, really good thing. So he continues in verse 24. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? So the, the call to deny ourselves it's not some sadistic command, like some sort of penance, but ultimately it's a call to freedom, to live in relationship with Jesus. And we can find this incredibly hard to accept. It's very counterintuitive. Um, and as our, our culture is built around freedom, looking like um, having the money to have the life I want or the money to have the kind of insurance from hardship and suffering that I need, having the success and power to, to have the standing before others that I want. Um, I think you know that. I, mean, I, know, I know that when you've, you've lived in a way that you've really longed for something like that desperately, that, that standing, um, it really is crippling and it, it chains us to live for that thing above anything else. Um, I know for me, when I came out of university and jumped into work, um, I was desperate to succeed. Um, I wanted to feel like I had success, and I, I kind of wanted other people, like my family, other people, to see um, that I was successful too. So when uh, things didn't go so well, it was it's very painful. Um, and you ask some really big questions. Um, and for me, it was as I brought myself to God, as I like, repented for wanting to live for myself, my own standing, that I knew freedom from that burden. And still for me, that's a daily thing of, Lord, I live to serve you today for your glory, to choose the life and freedom that is found in living for Jesus. Now, um, last Saturday morning, I went to our baptism service uh, at, at Kingsburn, and uh, I heard the stories of, of three women uh, whose lives had been totally transformed as they had chosen to follow Jesus. Um, there was, I think, uh, one lady uh, originally from Iran, um, one lady from India, and a lady who grew up in Gorton. So three very different um, people, but uh, yeah, all with just in these incredible stories. And it was, yeah, honestly, it was uh, incredibly moving um, and touching and each woman had a beautiful story of, of how God had, had transformed them, how he had saved them. And baptism um, is that incredible picture of death to life. We don't deny ourselves to be, to be 
drowned in a surprisingly warm pool of water at Kingsburn Hall. Like that, that's silly, isn't it? Um, but I think that's how we can read those words, deny ourselves sometimes. But no, we go down into the water, acknowledging that it is our brokenness, our sin that leads to death, a death paid for and conquered by Jesus. And then we come back up again and we stand in Christ's resurrection. We stand in his death and his resurrection. We lose our life to save it. And just as I kind of conclude this morning, I want us to reflect on the identity and the mission of Jesus and the identity and the mission that he has given us. Um, If you've come to a place in your life, whether it's today or many years ago, where you look at Jesus and say, you are the Christ, then the question can often be, kind of, what next? And here Jesus lays it out. Lose yourself. Deny yourself to him, for him. What good is it to gain the whole world, but lose yourself? This morning, I want us to be excited compelled by the call to deny ourselves. This is not a call to self-condemnation, to downheartedness, the opposite. It is a call to be free from condemnation, free from what can burden and entangle our hearts and live for Jesus. Um, I'm going to invite the band to come back up just as I come to finish. Life in its fullness, is found in Jesus. And he is the Christ. He is the one who came to save us. And we get to follow him, walk with him, live lives of love and purpose to bring him glory, to build his kingdom. And it's not easy. It's not easy following Jesus. But this morning... Bring that that grumpiness, bring like whatever it is, lay down yourself for him. Lay down yourself for him. This is where we find life.